Hi, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, as always, hosting, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by the regular troop of Paul. Hello. And Cam. Good evening. Gentlemen, how are you both doing? I hope you're not as full of a cold as I am. Yeah, very well, thanks. Manage- managing to avoid it <laughs> so far. Barely leaving the house, Dan, frankly, so I'd do well to catch a cold from anybody. <laughs> I, I don't leave the house, but having that said, uh, having a, a boisterous five-year-old around the yeah, yeah. cars with that particularly. Um, right, well, well, we'll get straight into it. What I wanted to start with um, this week is we, we try and be apolitical on this podcast, if, if we can be, but uh, I think it would be remiss of us to not mention the fantastic work um, of Marcus Rashford, over the last week, as the um, the governments have yet again insisted that um, free school meals is not the way forward. Not going to get into that too much, but um, I would like to really get into how positive an influence that Marcus Rashford has had, and how positive an influence football can have. It's really maligned by people as a sport of over like overpaid and overpampered players getting paid a lot of money and. That, that's true in the extent of, of wages, but I, I think football can really carry a positive message sometimes, and I think Marcus Rashford has been really, really excellent over the last six months. Well, couldn't 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 agree more. First of all, I think Dan, um, and it is uh, an amazing sort of job that he's done, really. And I think what what sort of has connected with people is the fact that it's such a a sort of personal mission for him, you know, that it's based on his own childhood and his own roots and his own upbringing. And I think it's the fact that it's so genuine and sort of uncynical, you know, this isn't just celebrity attention seeking, you know, this is actually someone that legitimately and genuinely believes in the cause uh, because he's sort of felt the effect of it himself. And I think that's what, you know, why it's connected with so many people and the fact that it's obviously focused around children as well. Um, adding that to the mix um, is always going to be an emotive subject, whatever whatever you're talking about. But um, yeah, you know, as, as you say, given that uh, footballers can just spend the time just buying cars and houses and whatever, and uh, going out clubbing and, and doing all that, which you know, which they're perfectly entitled to do as as a sort of well, you know young wealthy individuals, um, it, it is great to see someone using his platform. Um, for something that goes beyond just himself, you know, and a sort of genuinely selfless act uh, that I think it is. So uh, it's definitely to be applauded. It's not to say it's to be expected of every footballer. Um, I don't think that's fair. But um, equally, it is great to see someone, you know, using that platform that they've got with, you know, millions of followers on social media and so on to, uh, you know, to really do something that is genuinely good. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely behind him. And obviously, even even better than when it's when it's a player for your own team, but I'd, I'd like to think I'm sure even if it was a even if it was a Liverpool player that I'd be absolutely standing up and applauding him as well because it is uh, it's an amazing thing that he's done over the last six months at a time when it's been badly needed for someone to try and uh, sort of force some of these discussions. Um, so yeah, no, I'm glad glad that we you brought it up on the agenda, Dan, because I think it's right that we uh, that we acknowledge it. Yeah, and I, I think my take on it, Dan, as well, is where you started by saying the show is, is intended, uh, this show is intended to be about football and not about politics, and it's intended to be apolitical. I think one of the really good things about what Marcus Rashford has done is he's tried to keep his campaign apolitical as well. He and he has, he has made clear at every um, stage that this is about an issue. It's not about politics. It's not about personalities. Um, and, and some of the responses that he's had from uh, certain individuals who maybe um, are of a very ideological uh, vent one way or the other on, on, on social media or on Twitter... Um, who've tried to make this about, you know, an ideological debate about the role of the state. And Marcus Rashford has done a really good job of sort of staying out of all that and saying, as far as he's concerned, this is about making sure that children who otherwise might not get a meal, get a meal in the middle of the day. And um, he won the concession uh, from the government earlier in the year. And then yet again, when the um, the sort of half term come round and there's a problem, with, with free school meals uh, not being provided during the half-term holidays and then when uh, children 
in some some circumstances returned to school after the break um he's brought it back to national attention he didn't again if you if this was about his own profile and his own his own celebrity he kind of done enough to to make that point the first time round, and he got an mbe uh in recognition but he's come back to it this is clearly something he cares very very passionately about um for his concert very good reasons from his own childhood and i think it, it does show that footballers can be a force for good when we're in this situation where but the world's in a difficult place and you have the sort of slightly obscene spectre of football clubs talking about super leagues and breakaways that we've touched on in previous shows, which all just feels slightly cringy in the, in the current circumstances um, to see Marcus Rashford behave as uh, in as dignified a way as he has to be able to keep it above the sort of political backstabbing that just just seems to um you know completely consume social media and to say this is just about feeding children at the end of the day and you know your politics what party you support or what ideological vision you have for for britain shouldn't really come into it yeah i think you've both echoed my sentiments there it's um very difficult for someone like marcus rashford to to weigh in on um, a situation like this because it's something that is unfortunately um, weighted in politics and he, you're right in that he's gone completely out of his way to say I am not um, dealing with politics here I am dealing with children not being fed and whilst I, 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 everyone knows my political opinion but my opinion is that it doesn't need to come down to politics if you don't think a child should have a meal you are a prize prannock. <laughs> I've got no no other way that I can I can say it. It's something that I strongly believe in. And one one thing I did like to see as well is I, I still think there'll be a climb down over this in in the days ahead. But um, I, it was great to see him as well spreading awareness of businesses. And again, businesses are, are right out at the moment. Really find it difficult, and yet everybody has still stepped up to say. You come to our cafe or our restaurant, say this catchphrase or, or, or whatever it will be, and your child will get a free meal. I think that the right people have come together to... Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Dan, because while Marcus Rashford has been the kind of the, 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 the lightning catalyst. rod or the convener or the catalyst, yeah, the, the, whatever word you want to use, um, there's a lot of small businesses and, um, and big businesses and football clubs and, you know, forever else. I, I, I know it's a, a club close to your um, mind for obvious reasons, Dan, but I was really struck by the fact that Bolton Wanderers had tweeted out and said, you know, children who are, who are needing a meal can, can turn up at... at at their facilities and, and and get a packed lunch over the the half term holiday, um, and and that one really struck me because we've talked already on this podcast about the fact that Bolton's financial position at the moment is pretty grim and in and of itself. Um, so you know it, it is that football clubs and small businesses and, and larger businesses have kind of heard the call and and come to the come to the sort of the forefront really to help out, and that's a really positive thing for for society, and it, it's great that it was a, a a footballer that's kind of been that catalyst it's going to be difficult for me to say anymore whilst keeping uh impartiality dan so i think it's <laughs> i think uh paul's point was brilliant you made i mean yeah i think just just to just to echo i suppose that yeah that you know that the when his, his timeline was being updated with all of you know all these kind of local places um you know tweeting their support on what what they were offering and uh yeah again uh, you know in an industry that has been badly hit um this year you know any any sort of hospitality sector has been you know really struggling so it kind of shows just how much of a fundamental issue it is that even places who've been you know almost to the wall um are still finding ways to dig deep and and sort of support this cause so it's it, it really is a fantastic thing and in a you know a, in, a, in a what's been let's face it a, a very grim year for a lot of people in a lot of ways it's it's one little beacon of light and uh yeah great to see that it's uh yeah like you say sort of related to some positivity has come from football, uh, which is always good to see. And when he hit that shot right at the end on Saturday evening, um, Dan, I thought it was going to cap a perfect week um, when it left his foot. Uh, I thought he was going to curl the winner. Yeah, I want to come back to that save, but we'll, we'll get to that in due course. I, uh, I don't want to disra- um, derail the agenda at this early stage. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, we'll, we'll move on from Marcus Rashford. But what I will say is that the right honourable gentleman for, I believe it's Mansfield, is also a prize prannock. <laughs> and yeah. we'll, 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 leave, we'll leave that there. <laughs> um, interesting result tonight in um, West Brom actually got a point at Brighton, which is not, not a, a point I had them down for. Um, but Fulham lost again at the weekend. Admittedly, it was only by one goal in the end, but um, given that Crystal Palace don't really try to score goals, um, is is the writing on the wall for, for Scott Parker? Is Mark Hughes, Sharpman, his CV up? Is uh, Sam Allardyce getting his PowerPoint presentation ready? Is anyone from the, the LMA Mafia getting ready to, to roll? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, come on, Paul. <laughs> I think I, I think um, I certainly think things don't look great for Fulham. Uh, I think they look um, just short of the quality required ultimately at this level. And obviously, they've they've brought a couple of names in over the you know, at the end of the transfer window in in Lookman and Loftus Cheek, but they are kind of you know talented young British players who've never quite nailed it down anywhere and they don't seem to me to be the kind of reliable type of of um you know and i'm not suggesting they go and sign whoever that nigel rio coker is of, of 2020 <laughs> but but you know I, they're not people i immediately look at and think they are the right sort of players to to get full amount of what already looks like a, a sort of serious relegation battle I, I feel for scott parker i i actually think he almost did too good a job last season because I don't think they were ready to come back. Um, and he did a great job to get them up. And they just look so short everywhere on the pitch to me um, of the required quality. And, you know, you, you can do everything as a manager. You can inject passion into the players. You can get a pattern of play. You know, you can, you can press. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you've not got good enough football players, it, it doesn't really... Uh, amount to much and I just think Fulham are short of the required quality and it's it's a shame it's a good football club I really like the cottage it's one of my favourite grounds in England um, I think it's one of the few sort of unique football stadia experiences that we've still got left and I'm always a fan of holding on to those sorts of places um, I like Scott Parker even though he's he's played for Chelsea and West Ham and Tottenham um, you know I've, I've always thought he, he was a decent human being as a footballer he always came across very well when he spoke to the media as a player the same as a manager good character um, and I almost think Fulham should just stick with Scott Parker and accept that this is going to be a relegation battle and it's probably going to be one that they'll be unsuccessful in. Um, and they should stick with him again and, and let him build again and try and come back and be a little bit stronger. Now, I know that that doesn't sound that attractive just becoming a perennial yo-yo club, but uh, the worst thing Fulham can do is what they did last time, which was get rid of Jokanovic at the start and then cycle through a manager every three weeks. That's, <laughs> that's not going to help. Um, so yes, I think it will be a long, hard, and ultimately disappointing season for Fulham. Yes, I think the writing probably is on the wall at some point soon for Scott Parker. Be surprised if he lasts beyond Christmas, but I do have sympathy for him. I'm not sure this is his fault. Yeah, I think I think there is, you know, a danger of history repeating itself a little bit, and maybe it will one way or the other in terms of if they if they go down and potentially come back up. But like you say, they made some. Poor decisions, um, you know, last time and they, they tried to chop and change managers and they didn't make any difference. Now, I think partly perhaps that time it's because they had this ridiculously assembled squad of sort of journeymen and randomers, which they've not done this time. You know, they've largely kept um, the same group of players, but they've now got a different problem where it's more of a quality issue. Whereas last time they perhaps might have had the quality, but they just had players who weren't interested Um so you, I think you, you, you're right, and I, I don't think a, a change of manager, you know, a change of manager isn't all of a sudden going to make those players better if they're short on Premier League quality. Then I think I think they're short. Um, and as and as you mentioned, Dan, you know, you think well, who, you know, who realistically do they look at? It's basically anyone who wears a headset on a Saturday afternoon on Sky Sports. Basically, you know, that's the <laughs> that's your sort of that's like the bench of English managers, basically. TP. Who, uh, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, it's all those kind of people, like you say, the you know the Allardyces, the Pardews, the Pulises, the Hugheses. I mean, it's a grim, depressing list. Of well, well, I, well, I hate to depress Fulham fans even further, but Tim Sherwood was doing their game on Saturday. So. <laughs> Never the Sherwood. Never the Sherwood. 
Uh, never the gilet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I would like to see them stick with him, but we know that football doesn't really work like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, you suspect that if things don't turn around over the next few weeks, then, yeah, there may be a decision made there. But it does make you think, it's, is it fundamentally going to change anything for Fulham? Probably not. But, like I say, football doesn't operate on, on logic in that way um, too often, unfortunately. Well, Tim, Tim Sherwood hasn't wheeled out the GLA yet on the on Soccer Saturday. I'm, I'm surprised at that, to be honest. It's the biggest punditry fashion for par since Terry Venables' chocolate brown Champions League jacket. <laughs> How can we forget the Champions League jacket? I did hear uh, Deschamps Gestapo leather jacket. Not that he's a pundit. He's a, a World Cup winning manager these days. I don't think the Champions League's ever been the same since ITV stopped rolling out Terry Venables in the studio and Ron Atkinson on the gantry, frankly. <laughs> Another night nice in with Manchester United. Champions League Tuesdays, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not the same, is it? It, it, it just isn't. And, um, and obviously BT have had it now. The Champions League just feels like a far cry from those halcyon days of, uh, of Istanbul and a couple of other wins and I think, that time we won't mention. I think there's something that might even come to our next agenda item about the fact that the Champions League, certainly to probably people of our of our era, Dan, doesn't quite feel as special anymore because you've got one game a week there and you kind of got whatever game ITV picked. You know what I mean? And and that was the game you got to watch. And uh, and it's one of those things where now I can choose, I can watch any game that's going on in the Champions League. You get the click of a button. Uh, and I almost think that that's taken a bit of the magic away from those days when I could just see whichever game ITV wanted to show us, whether um, that was Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Leeds, or, or as you say, Dan, nine times out of ten, Manchester United. <laughs> I, I think um, this all start, this is all ITV Digital's fault. Johnny Vegas and that monkey. Um, <laughs> it, it's because uh, if you remember, it was them who started showing extra games. Yeah, on, yeah, on ITV2 yeah, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. yeah. um, we're now in the situation where if, if you wanted to go on to BT Sport for HD Ultra or whatever it's called, you can watch Locomotive, Mo- Locomotive Moscow against Juventus if you so wish to do so at, fi- at 5 to 6 on a, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. I mean, just. <sighs> There's too much football. I mean, as as you've rightly nicely led on, Paul. Like it's it kind of a, there is too much football, and I think too much football has been played too quickly. And um, the the Athletic put an article out over the weekend. I think it was where wherein it was saying that muscle injuries are forty three percent up on what they were mm-hmm. this time last year. It's no surprise we had those ridiculous internationals a few weeks ago we have more ridiculous internationals coming up in a few weeks where no doubt there'll be more covid spreading and you know it, it's just uh, are we playing too much football was my question i, I know the answer is yes but <laughs> well I, I think i gave my answer away a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the you know whatever that project was named project get more money for the rich people yeah, yeah uh, but 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 <laughs> But ultimately, the bits of that project I liked were the bits that were trying to make it a bit less football and a bit better quality. Well, I I believe that you could get a bit better quality. I certainly, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone who understands even the basics, uh, the basics of physiology, um, that the muscle injuries are up. Footballers um, had a ridiculous number of games to play between the start of June and the middle of July. Uh, as we crammed in the end of a Premier League season into a ridiculously short window, as we crammed in uh, FA Cup games, as we crammed in the um, the Champions League and the Europa League, and and I've talked before about liking those formats at the end of the season where they you know they played mini knockouts for the European competitions. So I understand why all that had to happen. I understand completely. Uh, why we had to try and get a resolution to a season that was half finished when, when COVID hit. Um, but my view is, I, I just think we've missed some tricks in the way that we've restarted this football season. There were certain international games, like playoffs for the European Championships, that have to happen. But all the rest, that you know, that stupid break in August where they all went off to play before the after the charity shield but before the season started they all had to go and play a nations league game no one can explain to me why that was necessary um you know that that's 
players had four weeks holiday. Well, and not even four weeks holiday. They had a four week break. If you were in the FA Cup final, or if you went into those European round robins at the end of the season, you have four weeks, Dan, in which for players to have a holiday, a pre season, and be ready to start another season. How can that be? Uh, you know, how can that be conducive to keeping players fit and at their best and capable of performing at their peak? It can't. It should be no surprise to anyone that muscle injuries are up. I think it should be no surprise to anyone that ligament injuries are up. Um, these are things that wear down with overuse. And I think we are at real risk of overplaying players. We shouldn't be playing the League Cup this season. Nobody. Needs it, it's complete irrelevance. We should have just forgotten about it for a year. I know why we haven't because the thing is, once we've forgotten about it for a year, it would never have come back. Some of us might have quite liked that, but let's leave that to the (laughs) side. Um, ridiculous internationals. I I think I've said before, the Nations League is a good invention, it's better than friendlies, but not now. But in this situation, it's not better than not playing international football. uh, you know, again, I completely get that there had to be a window for those playoff games to happen. Completely understood. Let's have one window. If the other countries want to go and play a game who have not got playoffs, fine. But let's have one window. We could have done that in that one August window, if that's when you wanted to have it, and then crack on. Um, and, and then we are asking, you know, when you look at the schedules that the clubs that are in Europe have got for the next sort of six weeks, it's absolutely terrifying. Um, and I think this pattern of, of you know, the best footballers not being fit and able to go Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, Tuesday, you know, I I think it's going to continue. You're going to see injuries. Um, And people who say, well, the professional footballers, that's what they get paid for. Yes, they do. But it's like anything. Um, You know, I I don't know if you're a a bin man, if you if you get paid for an eight hour day as a bin man, um, you're not going to be as good if you have to work 16 hours. You're just not. It's eventually, if you have to work 16 hours, five days a week, you're going to be worse at your job at the end of that. It's the point we've had about, you know, doctors and nurses in the past. If you're working 14 hour shifts, you ain't going to be as good in hour 14 as you are in hour two. It's just basic um, physiology. It's an understanding of the way the human body works. We're playing too much football. Everyone loves football, but let's have less of it and better quality and, and try and keep the better players fit to play. Sorry, that was a rant, Dan. No, that's that's fine. It, it was a, a well-placed rant. It's certainly more... It's got more class than any rant I've ever had, I will say that. Um, but what I will say is that the, the, the argument of the professional footballers is something that the, the honourable gentleman, the member for Mansfield, would come up with. It's absolutely ridiculous. The human beings, they run a lot of miles in every game of football. It is going to happen. Anyway, Khan, sorry I've stepped on your toes, though. I just wanted to get a no, 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 the, no, the guy no, in Mansfield. No, not, <laughs> not, not at all, Dan. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, Paul covered it very well. But I think all I would say is that the the sort of answers to those questions are, are ultimately tied up. And we have talked about this before as well. But it's all tied up, of course, in the money and the sponsorship and the obligations to the, you know, the various companies around the world who want their pound of footballing flesh on the telly. Um, and that's unfortunately why we're in the situation that we're in. But uh, as you've said, the problem then is it simply it actually degrades the product that they're trying to sponsor. So it actually is a bit counterintuitive. But no one wants to be the one whose tournament they've sponsored gets cancelled, you know, whether it's the you know the League Cup or the Nations League. Um, so no one wants to be the one to give way. So, well, why, why should the tournament I've paid several million pounds to stick my branding on be the one that, that goes by the wayside? So obviously to keep everyone happy, they just play all of them, but it, it is completely ridiculous. Um, there is a game on every five minutes. Uh, and, and I think as well, particularly in the current climate, you know, the amount of sort of essentially unnecessary travel of people, you know, and people moving around from, you know, it, it's bad enough doing it just within a country, but going across, you know, all, all around Europe and so on all the time, it's, it's ridiculous. And of course it's, it's resulting in, you know, players testing positive for coronavirus as well as the actual you know sport related injuries and it, it, they're only going to increase because as you say through as we now go into sort of fully into the autumn sort of autumn into winter schedule the, ne- the next couple of months are, are crazy and there are literally just games on all the time <laughs> and it is it is crazy and i think yeah we've probably only just started to see the the you know the start of it i think if we come back to this subject in a few weeks time um i think we'll probably see that there's been far more examples um of either you know, players who have got specific injuries or just 
games where it's obvious everyone playing is fatigued and knackered and fed up. Um, so it'll be interesting one to maybe monitor and come back to this potentially in a few weeks as well um, and see how, you know, see how, see what sort of shape we're in. Can I pick up on one of the things Khan said there, Dan? Because he, he, he was, I mean, Khan's exactly right about the reason we play it all is because no one's willing to lose their pound of flesh and, and the, the sponsorship that they've invested in it. So let's take the example of the League Cup because it's been called the Carabao Cup now for three years. I don't know what Carabao is. <laughs> I believe it's an energy drink, but I take your point. Right, okay, there you go, you learn something every day. You know what I mean? Like Their yeah. branding obviously hasn't kind of infiltrated my mind. I, I know the name. I know that uh, maybe it's because I'm not a drinker of energy drinks, so I wouldn't walk to that bit in the, you know, in the news agents and go, ah, Carabao, yes, they sponsored the League Cup. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, it makes you makes you pine for the days of rumbleos, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I, I believe I believe they're based in in the in in the far east, in sort of Southeast Asia, uh, Paul. So I think they've they've sponsored it to try and you know as part of popularising the game over there. I think I don't know if they have much of a footprint over here. So I think you probably won't find it in your local news agents. I've certainly never seen a can of it around. Um, but I think I think that's why they've they've sponsored a, a sort of you know english-based tournaments but it's to sort of help grow it overseas again probably another reason why the authorities don't want it stopped because i'm sure it's helping emerging markets and shirt sales and all that nonsense Mm. um so yeah it all kind of goes back to that that same thing but yeah but you're right i mean even some of the sponsors you see in grounds you're like you know they're really prominent you know and i've i mean one of the other company rainham steel like they're they're like industrial steel company sponsoring football like why what do you think i'm gonna do run out and buy some steel (laughs) Very, very bizarre. Very but anyway, so we're going slightly off. off now, we we anyway. could we could do a whole podcast though, Dan, on the names that the League Cup has been known by. <laughs> yeah. As as you both know, I struggle to get past Carling. That was the last time yeah. I, I've I've struggled with the rebranding ever since. To be honest, back in the early lockdown when 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 quizzes were all the rage, it was yeah. it was a question someone asked. Um, I think I've got about half of them and forgot loads. But anyway, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, Worthington was definitely one, wasn't it? I like the Worthington. Yeah, Liverpool won the Worthington Cup. They beat United in the final, if I remember. Right. It sounds it sounds suitably grim and northern, doesn't it? The Worthington <laughs> Cup. You're not you're not insinuating the, the League Cups in uh, grim, are you? That's that's my, that's my territory. That could be a copyright problem. I, I think what, one thing I want to pick up is you mentioned that it was. Um, the, the base in the Far East. My understanding of that is correct. If I remember rightly, in the early days of the competition, a draw took place in, I believe, Hong Kong, and the, the draw was botched. They, they drew out the same team twice somehow, if I remember rightly. Does that ring a bell to, to add? Because it does <laughs> yeah. Go on, go on, Paul. It, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. It doesn't ring an immediate ban, uh, bell, Dan. But it doesn't surprise me. I, I know they had a spell, didn't they, of doing the draw at like eleven o'clock on a Saturday morning. Which I never quite understood. It's it's it, because it was in, in Hong Kong time, I believe. Okay. Well. Yeah, there the, the was um, the, the, there have been. I'm sure there was a draw, but um, I can't remember. I'm just frantically googling. Oh yeah, Charlton Athletic drawn twice due to graphics error in EFL Carabao Cup draw. <laughs> that takes some doing. That doesn't it? It does. There's a headline further down as well. The first round draw for the League Cup has gone horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> so, so the, the, just while we're on the subject of the League Cup, there was that sort of slight craziness, wasn't there, of playing like the first round and the second round within about 38 hours of one another. Yeah. Um, they're not playing the next round now till the middle of December. Like It's like three days before Christmas. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one, that, because as you say, rounds one, two, and three, let's burn through these, and then suddenly, okay, but we won't bother till Christmas. Why? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, um, as, as I mean, don't get me wrong, I want to win trophies, and if an opportunity came along to win the Carabao Cup, I would be very happy to, to get to a final, because we, we play our, our youth team in it, but um, it, it just, that's crazy schedule, and that. I mean, and Liverpool and Arsenal playing each other. Arsenal coming to to Liverpool three times. Sorry, twice in in three days. That was also ridiculousness. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I suppose if the draw comes out like that, it's unavoidable. But the, the, the just the need to play those games kind of back to back weeks strikes me as a bit odd if we've now got a gap till December. But maybe that's because we've got to fit in all these games in the Thursday Cup and the uh, and the Champions League and whatever else um, we're playing in. I imagine there's a couple of Premier League midweeks that are at the start of December. There's normally one or two around that yeah, time. Yeah, there's, so. there's one midweek round. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I'm not. I've not really. I mean, to be fair, the TV companies don't know what they're doing because they're trying to get out of the pay-per-view commitment as quickly and as 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 um, efficiently as they can. Um, yeah, I mean that, that's an interesting subject, Dan, because we covered it at length, didn't we? Um, a few weeks back, the the sort of the announcement of of the pay-per-view package, and I think I said then that. This, to me, was about the Premier League protecting its price per unit rather than it being about the broadcasters necessarily wanting to rake a load of money in. And it now seems as though actually the broadcasters are saying, we really don't want this. We'd much prefer to just give the product away free. It is very much the Premier League. And it's because, we talked about it before, it's because... The current deal ends at the end of the 21-22 season, which means next spring and summer, spring and summer 2021, is when the big negotiations will happen for the deal that runs from 2022 to 25 or 26. Um, and the Premier League is terrified. And when I say the Premier League, all 20 clubs, or, or, or certainly the nine that get a vote, <laughs> and, uh, all, all 20 clubs, because uh, it's still one member, one vote at the moment, are implicated in this. This is about protecting their price per unit for negotiations. It's got nothing to do with, with um, Sky and BT, and it seems as though actually, having trialled it for a couple of weeks, those two broadcasters are saying it's basically costing them more money to run the service than they're making and people subscribing to watch. It's costing the reputation Mm. as well because to the less discerning eye, it's like, TV companies just want to make more money out of us and it's not the TV companies. I actually, and we've we've covered this, I have sympathy for Sky and I have sympathy for BT because they don't want to have the pay-per-view games but the Premier League is saying, why don't we just give this a try and... Um, it was lovely to see um, Liverpool and Everton fans um, joining forces a week after an ill-tempered Merseyside derby and my temper is still ill, believe you and me, um, to, to join forces and get £100,000 plus for local food banks as a donation instead of buying the Liverpool and Sheffield United game. Yeah, again, again, I think fans, fans have, you know, Fans have come out of this pretty well, um, not for the first time, and it's it's the league itself that looks as though it's got a bit of egg on its face. Yeah, although yeah. It, it denies me the opportunity to watch Brighton against um, <laughs> against West Brom on a yeah. Monday night at half five, but. They've released some of the figures, I think, today, haven't they? And compared to the numbers that watch the ones that are included within the subscriptions, they are, they are a tiny fraction. I would imagine tonight will be the, the, the lowest number. Um, of all of them, I would have thought, given that there's not even you know a sort of you know big big six club in the, with, involved in the game, I imagine it'll be you know a very very low. Number. West Brom against Burnley last Monday, can that's a very yeah thing. true. <laughs> um, kind of a but, risk uh, at the bottom. Not no disrespect to those clubs, but <laughs> yeah, no. And actually, that and that was kind of one of the points as well that got made when it was announced that it's it's sort of fans of those clubs that will sort of disproportionately suffer because their teams don't get picked for the normal subscription included games. Um, so we're starting to see a bit of that as well. Um, so it's kind of, you know, more unfortunate for fans of those clubs that it's either pay or, or you don't get to watch your team unless you can find other, other means, which I'm in no way endorsing just to be clear. Uh, <laughs> but there you go. But yeah, so whether, whether, whether we're now, you know, whether it will just be one of those short lived experiments that dies a death and is never spoken of again, we'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the reason obviously why people are thinking it was the broadcasters, of course, that's who you pay or, you yeah. know, from, you know, it's not, you don't go on to premier league.com. You go on to your sky sports or BT. Well, I say I mean I haven't done it, but I'm assuming I'm assuming that. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that's why. And I think, like I say, it was a bit of a probably a bit of a canny move from the Premier League in the way that they sort of released it. Um, it was a bit deliberately vague. And uh, yeah, I think obviously someone had sort of broken ranks now over the weekend and has said, "Listen, it's nothing to do with us. Um, we'd happily see it scrapped." So yeah, we'll uh, maybe we'll see what happens after 
Because is it one more week? Is the next? You know, they announced yeah. it for like three weeks. Is it? Is this week two of three? Yeah, and that's then... right, Con. And then, then they've just announced last weekend the November TV games, and at the moment there is no announcement of anything for pay per view. Right. Um, but they have announced that, that you know the regular slot games. So yeah. uh, I think I think Liverpool Man City is is in that batch, and that's that's going to be a four thirty Sunday game. So they've they've announced the raft of kind of the normal TV slots: the Saturday lunchtime, the Sunday two o'clock, the Monday night football, etc. Um, so it'll be interesting now to see if um, if. Uh, if it works out in that way, I actually did the number crunching over the weekend. That do you know that the base, the price per unit of Premier League games based on the TV contract and the number of games per season, it works out at almost ten million pound a game. Mm-hmm. It's crazy money, isn't it? It's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And you're basically halving it by giving away every game free because on a normal weekend there's about five live games. So by giving away ten live games each weekend, you're basically halving your price per unit, and you, you get to sort of just over five million. But yeah, it, it, I I just had a little play with the numbers when that story came out Sunday morning, and it, it you know it it is stark, and I do see the Premier League's view, but I, you know ultimately I think the Premier League are probably in a stronger position than they think they are because. There is a real appetite, not just in the UK, but worldwide for, for Premier League football games. So I think that the concern that they've got about, you know, it crashing their unit price for the next set of negotiations, just not sure it's that well founded. I think I think there will be enough people who want to bid against each other that the that the price will go up. Um, so, you know, we'll wait and see, but it, it's definitely one to keep an eye on because, as you say, Con, I think after next week, that initial batch has sort of come to it, come to the end of its run and it'll be interesting to see if they stick with the model. A couple, mm. couple of things. Well, so, sorry, Con, go on, mate. Well, well just, just a, a really quick one, Dan, was just on, on that sort of price per game thing. My understanding, and I, I may need to check this and perhaps we can validate it on, on next week's unless you two can quickly Google it or, or correct me, is that actually in the last round of, you know, the, the last deal for the Premier League, that, that actually the, even though the number overall was higher because more games were included in the packets, that actually the price per game had actually gone down a bit from the one four years before, which might be why there yeah. is that sort of nervousness yeah, um, I think, it wasn't I think, a huge decrease. No, but no, was, no, but I think, I'm I think sure right. I read it was that there was a a little bit. So that might be where it's coming from. Um, yeah. And I guess perhaps what they're worried about is if if the companies who do the bidding aren't doing so well and they've got less in their pocket, that then the Premier League will see le- you know that the bids will sort of go down because of it. Is maybe where the the concerns coming from. The good news is that Amazon are going great guns, so uh, you know they might be all right. We might just well, be watching I, everything Amazon. Fine, I did, I, they've done extremely well this year. Yeah, I did my party political for Amazon a couple of weeks ago. So, <laughs> so uh, yes, yeah. this podcast in no way endorses Amazon. Just be crystal clear, we are not on the payroll. Well, well, that was the thing I was going to come in. Like the next TV deal, like um, the, the Premier League may be worried about the 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 price per unit, but if we assume that Amazon are going to up the... Because they've been dipping the toes in the last few seasons. If we assume that they're going to come in big, and there was also talk of, of Facebook or, or, or YouTube, perhaps, even upping the ante and, and getting involved, sh- surely this will probably be the biggest TV deal that we've had. So, so that's what I think, Dan. I, I think ultimately the Premier League will be fine. But but Con is right. It's a good point he makes that the price per unit did actually drop in the last negotiations. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all understand whether we like it or not that, that football's big business now and there's a commerce element to it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I hope that we get to a, a sensible position on the pay-per-views where either they kind of drop them all together or they come to some sort of agreement where you can buy a package that's you know a, a, a much more reasonably priced add-on i mean people are just not going to pay 15 pound for a single game of football it just isn't going to happen not when there's five live games a week that they can watch for for yeah i'm going to say free it's not free because you have to pay your bt subscription and pay your sky um, subscription but i i yeah i as we talked at the time, I thought the price point was way too high to make it um, a really viable proposition for fans, and and so far it's it's proven that way, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, y- yeah you you uh, you used to kind of like citing the old Premiership Plus, which was the, what I was looking for a few weeks ago. What's George Graham doing? Is he busy? We can have him back. <laughs> we have him back as a pundit. 
he's, yeah, George, he's got them a Fulham job. That. They've just <laughs> <laughs> they've just appointed him. Uh, TP's furious. Um, <laughs> but the, the other the other thing that the Premier League does have in it, its locker, and presume that they're still doing this, is because it, it is a it's a closed auction, isn't it? So that's kind of why when BT got got in sort of two deals ago, I guess it must be now. Um, where they basically just blew sort of sky out of the water on one of the packets because obviously they just like right we definitely want to secure this and so just bid this ridiculous amount of money and probably the reason why the gate the, the cost went down for the last one is they realized they probably didn't need to do that the second time when they realized they'd probably spent tens of millions more than the actual someone it's someone in accounting will have said hang on a minute can we not do that next time please because we could have got this for 60 million cheaper um uh, but especially obviously they when they're Especially when they're paying Lineker's salary for the Champions League. <laughs> well, it's that indeed. Um, so, but but equally, it is a canny thing that Premier League do, um, where you know, assuming it is genuinely a, a closed auction and they aren't all you know secretly talking behind the scenes. Who knows? But well, well, um, that, that's yeah. one of the accusations, and I mean, uh, you know, we're obviously mm. not suggesting that this is the case. But one of the the theories out there is that BT came in that first time and sort of blew the price up by going in really really high and and trying to compete with sky as it were and then there was a bit more of a nudge nudge in the wink wink the second time mm. um and, yeah. and they sort of agreed that okay bt will get two packages and sky will get three packages and amazon will get a package and and it was all a bit of a fix up Everyone's i mean I, happy yeah exactly yeah, yeah. i i don't i don't i don't subscribe necessarily to that that conspiracy theory myself but um I, I do think there'll be enough competition in the market with with Amazon, with the other new sort of social media type providers, with YouTube. I mean, I think YouTube have done NFL games now. Amazon definitely have. Um, Facebook Live have done various sporting events, haven't they? So I, I think, didn't Facebook Live have one of the tennis majors last year? Was it that's the US Amazon, Open? That's Amazon. Was that Amazon as yeah. well? Uh, so, so you know, they're all they're all in that market now. They're going to be competing. They realise sport is one of the best ways to get eyes on your on your service on your product. And once you've got them there, they'll stay and they'll they'll buy your other services. That's the idea behind it. Again, we talked last time about the fact that the BT thing, BT overpay for football. They don't make a profit on it. What it does is it drives broadband subscriptions and that's where bt's profit line is so you know uh they're all running different models and i i do think ultimately there'll just be enough interest to keep the price high um and hopefully avoid the need for sort of uh additional pay-per-views i think if football fans pay enough subscriptions to try and watch their games yeah it's uh it's an expensive business football because it, like I'm, I'm not saying you're average fan but like, let's just take me as an example. I mean, I'm used to having an example made of me, but um, I've got a season ticket, so I pay X pounds per home game. I think it's forty nine, and then I have to pay Sky Sports monthly because I'm a Virgin customer on the top package. I don't actually pay for BT Sports, but if that changed, that would be X pounds a month as well. So suddenly, the cost of being a football fan will be approaching probably about hundred. £100 a month, if not more, if you've got two home games, if you assume we're not having this crazy schedule at the moment. Yeah, it's big, big money. Yeah, football is, is big money, and it, it has been for some time. But um, I'm enjoying the nostalgia, mentioning um, all the old Carling Cup names and the uh, Premiership Plus, George Graham, the, the Chocolate Brown Champions League jacket. Um, one thing that I'm not nostalgic for, and won't, or won't be if it ever changes, which I don't ever see it going away, is VAR. Uh, another weekend, another string of curious decisions. Um, did you see the penalty that Sheffield United got given? So I have now seen it, Dan. I've only seen it this afternoon. Um, I think I said to you earlier, I I do think if it's a foul, it's a penalty. Uh, where the ball is is irrelevant. It's where the contact on the leg is. And as far as I can see, that's on a line and the line is in the box. So if it's a foul, it's a penalty. Um, I think it probably in modern football is a foul, if I'm honest. I don't think it's a foul 15 years ago, but um, I think the first contact is probably on on the leg before he plays the ball. Now, again, Ian, when we were growing up, if you if you made that challenge and you win the ball, and it's not it's not the classic tackle from behind, is it? He's, he's come in from the side. He's got a clean angle to to make the tackle. 
but I think the first contact might be on the leg. Um, I d- Mike Dean gave it as a penalty, didn't he? I, I'm not. No, I'm he, not gave wrong about that. he gave a free kick. He gave a free kick. He gave a free kick. Yeah. So, so Mike Dean had judged it was a foul on the pitch. Obviously, as I've already said, I think if it is a foul, it is a penalty because because it looks as though the contacts on the line. I think it would have been hard to overturn that as a clear and obvious error, is my opinion. Um, I think you disagree with me, Dan, but my opinion is I think I think if he did, if he not given it on the pitch as a foul, I don't think I'd necessarily have overturned it. But the fact that he's he's given it as a as a foul on the pitch, and then the question just became, is it in or is it out of the box? Uh, and I think they called that bit right. I think I think it was on the line, and therefore it's it's a penalty rather than a free kick. To me, it's another trigonometry decision, wherein has has Mike Dean given made a clear and obvious error by give, not giving a penalty? Not in my opinion. No, I, I think it was it, it was borderline. It was very close, and um, as you say, his foot is on the line so yeah if you're given a free kick there it's um it's not a free kick it's a penalty because the the the, uh, the, the line belongs to the, the penalty box as you say so my issue with it is that Mike Dean hasn't made a clear and obvious error and we're getting our protractor out again for for it that, that was my big issue I mean, it doesn't matter because we won the game but I, I'm, I'm not happy about the whole thing because Ultimately, I mean, this is maybe club bias coming in. I thought that was a cracking tackle, and um, yeah, maybe it's just me getting nostalgic yet again. Because, um, as you say, fifteen years ago, that doesn't get given. I, I just thought that was a good tackle, but yeah, um, it's difficult for Andre Mariner to turn around and say, "Well, that's not a foul at all." I mean, I think good luck being Andre Mariner and having to tell Mike Dean he's got some. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, 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 Andre Mariner might have thought no, that's not a foul, but I'm not. It's just not worth it. I'm not. I'm not getting involved with Mike Dean. Mike Dean walked back down. So uh, Arsenal were also on the the uh, the end of a, a, a VAR decision. And, 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 and what what did you think of that, Paul? Um, I think that has to be offside, personally. Uh, I didn't see the game. I didn't pay my £14.95. I understand we weren't very good or we had a lot of the ball without really doing much with it and then got caught sucker-punched. Actually, my WhatsApp groups were saying about five minutes before Leicester scored, they're going to score one on the counter-attack in a minute and we're going to lose this 1-0, which is what we did. Um, but uh, on the on the, the disallowed goal, which I've, I've seen back, I... To me, that's offside. You, you can't be standing in the middle of the six-yard box and not be affecting play and not be seeking seeking to gain an advantage. Is the is the language in the law? Um, he he isn't obstructing Casper Schmeichel's view. He isn't obstructing Casper Schmeichel's dive. I get that, um, but Xhaka is clearly in his peripheral vision, um, and so I you know there's an element of the distraction of the goalkeeper there. To me, I would always want that ruled out as uh, if it was against my team. So I, I don't have particular complaints in that sense. I do think Arsenal were a touch unfortunate because I think the way they've been uh, interpreting that law in the last two or three seasons, unless they've been right in front of the goalkeeper or blocking the goalkeeper from diving, those goals have generally been allowed to stand. Um, and they've generally been given, and that's both kind of in the last year or two before VAR and then in the VAR era. So I think Arsenal maybe have a little bit of a sort of legitimate complaint that, well, this isn't consistent with the way you've been applying it. But personally, I think that's offside, and if it isn't offside, it should be. Can have you got anything to say about this weekend's VAR controversies? Or not controversies? Well, I... I did some very good diligent preparation for this podcast, Dan, because I knew I was coming on and I made sure I didn't watch any football this weekend. <laughs> uh, so I'm probably not best place to go into the details. But I did I did see, um, you know, the, the, I was did watch some of the highlights and I, I know what Paul's saying about the, um, the Arsenal one. I think you'd be sort of annoyed as a fan that it's not given. But equally, yeah, when, when given the wording is the seeking to gain advantage, when you've got two players that near to the touchline, I mean, what else are they doing there? <laughs> right. So um, I think, yeah, probably, probably do have to, uh, to chalk that off, which is a bit of a shame and it's annoying, but equally, I think, yeah, you kind of have to go with the, with the rule on that one. And, and equally always happy to see Liverpool concede penalties. So I'm happy to, go, <laughs> happy 
to agree with Paul on that one. So there should have been two penalties, I think. Just you know, just yeah. There, have there, two. there was uh, one <laughs> not given that was a, a much much better penalty shot. So yeah, we, we was a touch fortunate with that. Uh, can I just can I just sort of burst Con's bubble though by saying that I thought the worst VAR decision of the weekend was the penalty that Manchester United oh, should have conceded and didn't. I was I was <laughs> just going to say I heard there was one involving was it Maguire? It was Maguire. Um, Maguire had someone in the TAS mission. Yeah, Maguire had as Piliqueta in a headlock uh, from a set piece, and apparently VAR did look at it, and within three seconds had decided that there was there was no case to answer, which, ridiculous. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. It was the clearest penalty you will ever see. He grabbed, uh, they're the challenging, I can't remember whether it was a wide free kick or a corner, Dan, but it was definitely a set piece, wasn't it? It was definitely ball, a chokehold. And the, the, the balls come into the box. And Maguire's like wrapped his arms around Azpilicueta from the shoulders and is kind of holding him down with the arms almost interlocked around Azpilicueta's neck uh, to make sure that there was no chance he could jump up in the air. I mean, you might say, why is Harry Maguire worried about losing a header to Cesar Azpilicueta um, <laughs> as a first thing? Uh, and the answer was because he was the wrong side. Again. Uh, but again, but it was the clearest penalty. And then the irony was Manchester United broke down the other end Rashford's got the ball wide on the left. He's cut into the penalty area as if he's going to try and bend one in the far corner. And as he's done it, one of the Chelsea defenders, and I forget who now, has kind of kicked out and sort of flicked the bottom of, of Rashford's foot. Never in a million years a penalty. And they stopped the game to have a good old 30-second look at that one. Yeah. And I'm like, you've missed the penalty, guys, but it was 30 seconds ago at the other end. <laughs> <laughs> You're stopping the game to go back and forth endless times on, on whether Rashford... And there was no serious appeal from Man U on the Rashford one. Um, yeah, that was by far the most bizarre VAR instant uh, that I um, witnessed this weekend. Uh, and it seems as though almost we've got a theme now of every weekend there's at least one. There's, every weekend we have a number of these, like the Liverpool one and the Arsenal one, where y you can get three or four guys in a pub in the in the normal days or on a podcast uh, in the COVID world, and we can debate back and forth, and Dan can think it was a good tackle, and I can think it's probably a penalty, and some people can say, well, that's not interfering with play, and someone else can. But we also seem to be getting one a weekend that is just obviously a wrong decision. <laughs> um, and this weekend, that, that award was definitely um, definitely for the Harry Maguire uh, Aspilicueta incident. Yeah, like Cesar Aspilicueta was trying to tap out. But he, <laughs> he couldn't, he was that constrained. <laughs> One decision, it's not VAR, but I'd like to, to pick up in kind of any other business. Um, I think my respect for Carlo Ancelotti has really plunged a lot over the last week. Um he was crying in the middle of the week about um, James Rodriguez possibly missing the game at Southampton due to an injury he sustained early on in a pretty standard derby tackle with Van Dijk. He made a miracle recovery and played yesterday. Um, then, during that game, well, allegedly James Rodriguez played, if I'm being a bit <laughs> twee. In the same game, um, Luca Dean... Only he knows whether it's intentional or not, but after the display in the derby, I'm not really being sympathetic towards Everton's players. Only Dean knows whether he meant to stamp on uh, Walker Peters' um, his Achilles heel, but that was a shocking tackle. Whether he meant it or not is a different matter. Um, Ancelotti then says that that is the fault of all the talk about uh, Jordan Pitford, who wasn't punished, and then bizarrely brings up Rich Allison, who was sent off for a really, really poor challenge. It, has he got a point, or is it just frayed tempers after a pretty comprehensive defeat? I think he's got no point whatsoever. That was a clear and obvious red card. Completely. I, I, I thought that was completely the case myself. I, 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 as I say... Well, whether, whether it's intentional or not, Dan, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. The, the the letter of the law is endangered an opponent. Well, if treading on the back of somebody's Achilles when they're at full flight isn't endangering an opponent, I, I don't know what is. He, I don't think he's got a case at all. And they say they're going to appeal it. Yeah. Well, I think you can still get the frivolous appeal extra games, can't you? They should give that to him if he appeals. Well, that'll be three, that'll be three games, won't it? 
Yeah, yeah, I think it probably will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just I, I just thought it was a bizarre thing to come out and say it was just just. Str- Did you see it, Cam? Uh, well, so I, ha- I haven't seen the the comments, but no, I have seen the tackle, and it's it's a straight red all day. Like, absolutely, it was a horrible tackle, um, and I was surprised that you know Dina looked angry at being sent off, which was strange. But no, I hadn't seen the sort of fallout afterwards. Um, or Ancelotti's comments specifically, but I don't, don't think there's any way they can defend that. Really, that's ridiculous. And if they are appealing, then yeah, they should get the extra, uh, the frivolous uh, response because it's it's a clear red card. Well, I, I believe on, on Talksport, not that I was uh, I was or would ever listen to Talksport. Um, from, from what I understand, Andy Cole was saying if the Everton appeal, that should be a five-game ban. So <laughs> Andy Cole wants. An extra game for a frivolous appeal than what you would usually get. I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. Let's 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 experiment though on Everton. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, there's no way that'll get overturned. Um, I if if I know Ancelotti's already sort of come out and said it now, but if you're Everton's kind of you know football operations people and the and the legal team, they might just want to have a quick word with Carlo and say, honestly, Carlo, this is not worth this is not worth our while. <laughs> I know there's some other business because you've already said that you wanted to talk about that magnificent save by um, Mondi at um, or Old Trafford, Paul. Yeah, so we had a bit of an interesting game, didn't we? The, the Chelsea goalkeeper. I mean, we've we've been we've been uh, critics of of Kepper on this podcast, and with good reason. He's useless. Um, uh, and obviously, they signed Mendy, and he had the interesting moment early on. I don't think he's very good with his feet compared to you know the the, the Premier League goalkeepers who who have been brought in in recent years who will make the odd error. Uh, uh, trying to play out, but generally the Edisons and and Allison and to a lesser extent Leno at Arsenal and and even Kepper isn't isn't bad with his feet. It's it's his hands are the problem. It's just his goalkeeping. Uh, yeah, his goalkeeping. Um, you know, I think uh, he had an interesting moment when he tried that sort of back pass across his own goal and nearly put it in his own bottom corner. But that aside, he made a really nice saves in the first half with his feet from from Rashford, and then one that was a good height down to his right hand side. But I thought the save at the end, it looks when you look at, when you watch it just from the angle of sort of where Rashford has the shot and he's tried to bend it in that far corner. Again, it looks a decent height and it's come quite a long way and Mendy gets there and turns it behind and you think, good save, but a save a goalkeeper should make. When you watch the slow motion, I absolutely guarantee you, if Kepper was in goal, that goes in. And the reason is, Kepper doesn't move his feet. That's one of the biggest problems he has as a goalkeeper. And he's too bright. The Brighton goal at the start of the season was was another obvious one. He, he, he isn't the biggest guy in the first place, Dan, you're right, but he doesn't get those quick steps in. And, and the top goalkeepers have all got it. And it's why when goalkeepers get to a certain age, you notice the drop-off so quickly in guys that have been really good, whether it was Seaman and Schmeichel back in the day or, or Petr Cech a few years ago at Arsenal when he's, his last season he basically didn't save anything. Uh, and, and what is the feet go? And if you watch the slow-mo from behind the goal that, that Sky showed on the, the Mendy save from Rashford, Mendy's feet move so quickly. He gets two sharp little steps in before he dives, and that's why he makes a save. Um, and that's the difference between having him in goal at the moment and having Kepper in goal, because Kepper's feet weren't moving at all. He was basically just falling like a tree um, from wherever he was in the goal. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't want to uber technical on this on this podcast but go and watch if you can that angle back because that is really top top class goalkeeping it's something that doesn't get talked about enough with goalkeepers but foot speed is so important and Mendy's feet moved two little bouncy steps like lightning and that's why he was able on a full extension to make the save um and I thought you know ultimately it was right at the end of a of a not very good game but a game that Chelsea got Yeah, but a game that Chelsea got a good clean sheet and a very good point out of from their perspective. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was just worth commenting on. It was a terrible game. Um, my my other AOB, and I've already alluded to the fact that Arsenal weren't very good, but I, I do just wonder a little bit, and I didn't see the game last night, and I've, I've seen a bit of the highlights, um, but it's been a bit of a theme with home games this season is I almost feel like Arteta's worked so hard to get Arsenal into a shape and get us into a structure that we've almost become a little bit too straight jacket and too rigid. And we don't 
play with a great deal of freedom in the final third. We look as though we're still in that straight jacket because we, we've worked. You can tell how hard they have worked on the training pitch, on the shape and on the pattern. It's really, really obvious watching us play. It's almost like it's been drummed into them so much that they don't just make that run or make that move to go into a slightly different area in the final third. And I think that's why we're struggling to break teams down. Um, and it sounds like Leicester kind of just suckered us in and then and then brought Jamie Vardy on for the last 20 minutes and he scored more goals against Arsenal than any other Premier League club, um, which is a start that makes me absolutely overjoyed because he's a <laughs> lovely gentleman. Uh, and... Um, and uh, and obviously for a good three points for for Brendan. It, Leicester's season so far has been absolutely bonkers, hasn't it? With the the away wins at Man City and Arsenal, and then some sort of catastrophic home defeats in between time. So yeah, they got beat by West Ham as well, didn't they? Yeah, beat heavily at home by West Ham. So um, yeah, just something that I, I've sort of alluded to a little bit before, but it's worth watching with Arsenal. I actually think at the moment we might be one of the better defenses in the Premier League. Uh, I just don't know where we're going to score goals from when I watch us play, um, which is a very different position to be in than where we've been the last few years, but it's not necessarily a better position. Uh, so just one to keep an eye on. Karen, I know you've not seen much football this weekend. Did you have anything that you wanted to bring up? No, I think we've covered everything, actually. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, with my lack of, uh, <laughs> my lack of diligent preparation has meant that uh, I don't really have anything else to pick out, unfortunately, but I think we've covered quite a good range. Uh, tonight, so I'm, I'm happy with that. I wonder if just just on the back of yeah, and you might be making the same point, Dan, but just on the back of the conversation we had last week, um, the the classico, um, which I think is a bit more like the crappico at the moment, given <laughs> the way that uh, Madrid and Barcelona are playing, um, was was a, a pretty comfortable win for uh, Real Madrid, and I've already seen articles in the Spanish press um, this morning. Uh, asking how long Ronald Koeman's got in the job, which uh, which which just shows you why um, why it might sound like a great honour when you get appointed Real Madrid and, and Barcelona manager, but you better win games quickly or else you are not in that job for long. <laughs> no, no, sorry, I was just going to say I'd, I'd meant to keep an eye on that game actually, and that's not another one that I'd missed because <laughs> I did see that it was this weekend and I thought it was quite timely after we spoke about it last week, so I'm glad you brought it up, Paul. Uh, but I actually forgot to check uh, how it went. So uh, so Madrid won then, I'm guessing, obviously, uh, what you've said. Yeah, I'm, uh, b- big red Ronnie's in trouble already. Um... Yeah, it was it was 3-1 to Madrid, and it was at the new camp as well, which, you know, that never oh, goes right. yeah. well with the, uh, with the Barcelona massive. No, indeed, indeed. A friend a friend of mine is, is Spanish. He's, a, he's a, a Barcelona fan. I might see if I can convince him to join us one evening it would be interesting to get his thoughts um, one thing I wanted to, to bring up actually um, it was in the championship uh, Blackburn run a muck at um, Coventry and Harvey Elliott is on love and Liverpool scored his first goal in football in, in, in uh, top flight football so well done young man um, I'm, I'm watching him and his, his progress at Blackburn I think it's a really good move for him and for us He's not going to play because Shakiri's still around and Origi, allegedly. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm watching Harvey Elliott at Blackburn very closely. So I was pleased to see him. Uh, him score. How how are crew doing, Paul? Uh, we uh, we managed to um, win the game on Saturday. They won two one away at Doncaster, uh, which is first away win back in League One. Um, so very pleased with that. Uh, I'm going to say something quite embarrassing now, but I actually picked against us in my uh, accumulator and crew with the team that let me down. So I had sort of mixed feelings. Um, I try never to bet on crew, but our away form so far has been pretty awful. awful. Um, and so I thought, yeah, away at Doncaster, we'll get beat today. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly disappointed when when the final whistle went. Uh, yeah, been a bit of a mixed start, Dan. We, we a couple of good results at home and. Um, uh, and obviously that win, and I think with sort of 12th or 13th at the moment, which if you offered crew 12th or 13th at the end of the season, you know, having promoted again last year, uh, they'd snap your hand off. Um, I don't think the club's in a position to do any more than just try and survive in League One at the moment. I think that's where the finances are. It will be another club that's getting very badly hit by um, the COVID issues that we've we've talked about. 
previously uh the one advantage crew does have over over some of the other clubs in the football league uh, at that bottom end is we've we've probably again got you know one or two players who are who not necessarily that are going to be stars in the way that maybe crew graduates have been in the past but i think we've got one or two players who we might get a little bit of money in for if we if we needed to move them on um to keep the club afloat so uh you know, um, I suppose that's an advantage we've got over over certain other clubs. That's been a, a nice a nice chat as always, gents. Certainly the um, the pay per view stuff was was very interesting. Some good statistics there. Um, we'll be back next week, um, unless one of the uh, the LMA mafia come and take my job. Is uh, Alan Kerb if you're going to apply for a position on the Big Football Podcast? <laughs> Buy a gilet, Dan. Buy a gilet. <laughs> well, I'm not looking to work on soccer Saturday at the moment, can so. <laughs> no, well, you'd, you'd have to comment on those players from abroad, wouldn't you, Dan? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I couldn't do it with as much scorn as TP. <laughs> Certainly, it's always interesting to see his reaction to when uh, a, a goal comes in from a set piece or or uh, or whatnot. He doesn't like that, does he? No, no. Well, he, he, he's um. He's he's a stickler for the old ways, isn't he? TP and uh, yeah, he, I, I'm still not convinced that this new soccer Saturday panel is is the business. If I'm honest, but it's also a bit weird because I think you know the, the, one of the things that not only the pundits themselves, but one of the things that always made the show was the kind of interaction between people um, on the panel sitting around that desk and in this sort of socially distanced studio they've got, I think some of that banter becomes a little bit more difficult anyway, even, even when you sort of consider the change in personalities. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's quite as good a watch at the moment as it's been in previous years. Yeah. Um, certainly the, 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 the thing with soccer Saturday is you always associate it with Jeff Stelling cutting someone down to size. Um, mostly Charlie Nicholas to be fair. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, I, I kind of see what they're trying to do. Have a bit more tactical insight and, and whatnot. But you know what? I, I watch soccer Saturday because it used to be quite funny at yeah. times, and it, it, now it isn't. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not a bad program, and you know, Stelling still keeps things flowing well, and I, I still watch it. Uh, certainly, watching the, the the derby a few weeks ago. As soon as that game finished, Jacob we've been marching through the, to the next studio. For the uh, the BT, um, I can't remember what it's called, but the BT equivalent, and I had no kind of compunction to join him. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> maybe that's just because it's Jay Comfrey, but um, yeah, there we go. We always find something else to talk about. Whether I say, "Is there any other business?" and we say, "No," and we've done it yet again. But we'll call it a, a night there. So thank you very much for your time, as always, gents, and we'll be back next week.